Welcome the Carolina Upstate Thunder women's professional basketball team to the Upstate of South Carolina. Tryouts are on December 5th beginning at 1 p.m. at Legacy Practice Facility. There is a $50 fee. For more information, call 864-787-5056. Welcome to Two Feet in the Podcast, where ideas and inspiration meet to produce action. Today, we are breaking down ideas and giving you a strong dose of motivation. Get up and get moving on your dreams with me. I'm the coach, Heather Macy, and I'm ready to coach you and how to live two feet in. Joining Two Feet in the Podcast today is Julie Torbett, the all-time winningest volleyball coach in you. ECU history at 20 years as a division one head volleyball coach also played volleyball at nationally prominent Penn State what's up Julie hey Heather thanks for having me on your podcast oh man we're so glad you're here let's jump right into it so we're going to start off with the three R's the rapid reflection redistribution questions the what the how and the who an interesting fact or fiction maybe some dramatic pause and finish it up with the most traumatic experience you've had All right, Julie, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, what are you drinking these days? Homemade lattes. Haven't been to Starbucks in over a month, so have to make some good lattes. And who are you Zooming with that's added some value to your life? Well, I've been Zooming with future potential employers, so that's been interesting to watch people with technology and figuring that all out. And tell us this, how are you staying motivated? Well, I'm wired to win, so this whole crisis, we got to beat it. So that's very motivating to figure out how we're going to do that as a as a um, group of people. And the interesting thing that's happening with you? Just exploring jobs and learning about yourself and what hidden talents that you might not even realize that you had. And Julie, tell us the toughest thing that you've ever battled. I mean, I guess like everyone right now, just going from 100 miles an hour to zero, that has been really tough when you're used to being busy and active and on the go and life has literally stopped. That's Julie Torbett with the three R's. All right, so let's dive right into the podcast. And you mentioned that you are wired to win, which I love. And I think to have been at the highest level competitively, you've got to be wired to win. Can you talk to us about, you know, what does the day in the life look like when you're wired to win? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating that there's people that really are okay being mediocre. They don't um, have that um, drive, I guess, to make the world a better place or to conquer injustices. And I've been like that since I was little. My dad was a coach and uh, I guess I was just raised that way. Um, to be competitive and have a competitive spirit. And you can find competition in everyday life. It doesn't, you don't have to be a coach. You don't have to be an athlete. There's competition everywhere you turn. And uh, so it's, it is um, something that I'm definitely, I feel like is just a part of me and who I am. So your dad was a coach. Yep. You've got kids, all boys, right? Yep. yep. All right. So at an, an uber competitive person, how has that transferred over to your your family? And I want to ask you this, too. And the quality of life that they experience in a competitive household. I've coached multiple players who've had dads in the, the NFL um, and the NBA. 
and those kids seem to tick a little differently. What have you seen from a mom's perspective and good and bad, obviously? Yeah, my kids, um, I have two uh, that are athletes and played competitively and um, definitely they are different than a lot of their teammates and um, a lot of, you know, the stories that they share. Um, they have a different perspective of having had a mom as a coach. They've grown up in the gym, uh, were exposed, and, uh, I think, very fortunately to college athletes and other coaches um, where their babysitters were, they were around, they were at games. Um, they were more uh, comfortable, took naps in the gym easier than in a quiet um, nursery. So I, I feel like that you are wired a little bit differently when you're around that. But I really do believe people have a competitive um, spirit and true nature inside them, that fight or flight um, that gets buried in everyday life. And, and it's there when we need it. And it just has to be exposed. And I've um, had a really good success, I guess, in bringing that out of young women throughout my career. All right. So let's go there a little bit. So as um, both of you and I have coached at the highest level, female coaches, coaching other females, what's you, been your experience on, um, relative to me, I'm thinking, in the athletic arena is the one time that young women are applauded by being aggressive. And maybe the one time in your, in your life that you'll be applauded through that. Tell me things that you've experienced to where you're going, I'm teaching these guys huge lessons that they're taking with them forever. Absolutely. I've been coaching 27 years at the Division One level. So I have players that are in their 40s, um, you know, have kids, have went through divorces, have, um, you know, had battles in life. And, you know, it's, it's so real rewarding when they call and say, Hey, you were tough on me, but I get why now. And being able to be an athlete as a female, like you said, there's a lot of, um, I guess areas where we get told, you know, Oh, be quiet. Or you don't want to act like that way. A lady doesn't act that way. And on the uh, competitive on the court in the field um, in that competitive arena, we are allowed to be that way. And, and, and we should be able to be that way in whatever arena we're in. Um, but I, I've just had great success in bringing that out of females and that reward when they actually thank you for it because it wasn't easy times. It, it was getting, we being tough on them. And, um, and that's, you know, I think why we do what we do. So obviously we're, you're hearing that you're passionate about your family. You're passionate about the sport. Tell us other things that you're passionate about and experience that you've had in your life that maybe you just want to educate the world on. Well, gender bias has become kind of my new thing that I, um, you know, we, we, we hear about Title IX and I came up right after Title IX uh, in playing sports. And so, you know, in high school, there was a small little weight room that mostly the, the male athletes used and the females really didn't lift weights back then. And, and it's hard to really remember that time because obviously um, Title IX, the, the pioneers of that paved the way for you and I to play sports. And um, but this gender bias is um, more than just discrimination because it's really just the way we think about things and we it's implicit and we don't even realize it. And so a lot of things um, really can be boiled down to that biases that we have. And I've always been a champion for injustices. I've never liked uh, to see you know, somebody picked on or the underdog or 
Um, I've always been a champion for that. And so gender bias is kind of this new area that I'm exploring and learning more about and seeing how it's prevalent, not just in sports, but in other professions as well for, for women that they're having to deal with. So the term gender bias um, doesn't get thrown around often. I mean, we're sitting here talking about it, but I don't read about it all the time. No, I think you're going to hear more. Yeah, yeah, people are going to hear more about it because it's really the root of discrimination. Um, It's really this Me Too movement and and, um, with women, you know, kind of bonding together and standing up for themselves, um, which you do hear about, you know, where you they are taking on um, whether it's a, a movie director or whether it's, you know, somebody in their workplace they are saying, no, that's not okay. You know, I don't want you to talk to me that way. I shouldn't be treated this way. And when you really boil it down, a lot of times these men or women actually are not trying to look at somebody differently or discriminate against them, but they really are because they have a bias based on their gender. So in sport, is that in layman's terms saying, um, I'm a women's basketball coach. There's a men's basketball team on the other side is that me coaching my team similar to the way the men are coaching their teams, that uh, isn't acceptable. So what society doesn't accept it those ways. Give us, give us go deeper for me and understanding when those things happen and, and how you've seen female coaches adjust. Well, I just think that a lot of times, and you've probably experienced it as well. We're described as, as crazy. We're described as, um, you know, fanatical, too tough. Um, and then when uh, a man, maybe, you know, they dog cuss their players, or, you know, they're really hard on them. Um, you know, they're just firm. And, and um, they have, it just is a different perception. And even the way that now the athletes view it, um, unfortunately, is, they know their peers, they know their male peers that um, are on basketball team to a basketball team. um, And they can take advantage of that situation, but yet we want equal treatment. We want to be on those charter planes. We want to have the, the meals catered the same way we want. Well, if you want that, then you should be able to handle and be okay with being coached the same way. And somehow we aren't there yet. Right. So when you talked about the, the differences in, you know, man, that, that female coach, she's crazy and nuts. Um, a male coach does the same thing, doesn't shake hands after the game, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, just competitive. So go into that. So we're older and we're both pretty aggressive coaches and have probably at one point of our career had that happen. But the big thing for me is that I'm demanding, right? And I, um, I guess the other one is, is she works really hard and those for a long time, Um, had been used in a negative way and it's taken me a while in my career to go thank you and see that as uh, really incredibly positive give me something in your career that you started out feeling like you had to answer for or justify that later on your perspective has just changed and you feel like wow I'm so thankful because I helped more people that way yeah, when I, when I took the job at Winthrop, I mean, Greg Marshall is a great men's basketball coach. Now he's at Wichita State. He was the former Winthrop basketball coach. And when I got to Winthrop, um, they had had a losing volleyball program. They had had winning seasons before, but um, I had, you know, a colleague describing who does she think she is? She thinks she's Greg Marshall. And I was like, thank you. That I consider that a great compliment. 
that you would think I'm as driven and hardworking and the things that qualities that you would describe Greg Marshall as having to win all those championships, um, that you would be putting me in the same boat. I took it as a compliment, but you know, evidently it, there's negative, these negative connotations. I've been kind of oblivious to this gender bias. I think I can outwork and outcoach any, any man and I coach women. So why are male coaches considered to be better of coaching women? We aren't um, invited in the door to coach men. And yet then my sport that I played at the highest level, then a male coach and I had a male coach and he was a great coach. Um, they're better at, at, and, and their qualities, those same qualities are considered to be better. Um, it's very frustrating, but I think it made me a, it made me a better coach being allowed to, to coach that way early on. It's just been lately, ironically, that um, I feel like that that's a negative now. And we don't want our females to be exposed to that kind of coaching. So your dad was a coach. You played at one of the best volleyball programs in the country at Penn State, national championship level uh, program. You've been at the highest level coaching your entire career. Tell me this, Julie. Do you think that a person who is it, these traits are not ingrained in them at a young age? Do you think that you can get them there if they've just got pure talent as they as they become older? Well, like I said at the beginning, I think people have that winning and competitive spirit inside of them. I think we were created that way, um, whether you believe in evolution or you believe in God. It, I just think we were created that way to survive um, because we've had to evolve um, and survival. That survival instinct is in people. That's how, you know, people, mothers can lift cars off babies. Like, how do you how does that happen there? There's something in there. It's when we suppress it and when we don't let it out that it dies and, you know, you don't think you have it. I've heard so many women coaches that have been pushed out of coaching, fired or, you know, not not able to keep it up. And they're, oh, well, I'm happy being at home with the kids or I'm happy with my school teaching job. It was just too demanding. We get convinced that this is what we're supposed to do. And, uh, again, by that that bias that there's – women are supposed to do this and men are supposed to do that, or women are not as good at that as men. Um, and I just don't believe in it. I, I think it's there. And, and I was fortunate enough to play at the highest level where it was fostered and groomed in me, but I do believe you can teach it and train it in, in people um, in these times that we're going through right now, people are having to totally adjust with how they live life from the most basic going to the grocery store. People can be re rewired. All right, so you've got a great story that I, I want you to share with our listeners about when you had one of your first kiddos and how quickly, it was the middle of volleyball season. I want you to share that story and then kind of wrap that around that, are you, you know, are you a good mom? Because you came back two days after pregnancy, right? Or, <laughs> yeah. um, you, know, you know, what a, a great dad left work early to make the t-ball game. Tell, tell, tell everybody, that's a great story. Share that story with everybody. Gives us all hope through pregnancy, by the way. Well, yeah, I was faced with taking the job at UNC Asheville when I was pregnant. And then, you know, so I decided to go for it. And I was lucky enough to have an athletic director that, that went ahead and hired me. Um, and so that was my first coaching job. And I'm going to be nine months pregnant when the season starts. So I just 
like I said, decided to go for it. I went through preseason nine months pregnant. I had my child, my first son, um, September 4th. So volleyball season starts, you know, preseason starts in August and your games start the last weekend of August, first week in September. And um, I coached right up to, and I had to teach classes too back then. And um, I did all that right up to the Thursday um, before I had my son. Um, I had him on a Sunday and I had never had a child before, so I didn't really even know what to expect. Um, walked into the hospital, literally ready to have him and um, was in the hospital for 24 hours and he was a boy. So once he was circumcised, we went home and I was back in the gym two days later. Um, some people might think that's crazy, but for me, it was really um, what I knew and, and for him he didn't know anything either. So he was raised in the gym and he had my players, um, you know, uh, around him all the time. And, and they were, uh, it was great for them to see how hard being a mom is and babies are cute and everything, but they cry and they need a diaper change and you got to feed them. And I think the challenging thing was really trying to, to nurse him and, and coach. And, um, the match went long you know, might be in trouble a little bit. So, but just navigating all those things. And it was a great bonding experience for my son and I. Um, we're still really close with the staff and the coaches that were at Asheville at that time and the players. So I think that's incredible amounts of toughness and inspiring. Can you give us the best advice that you have to inspire our listeners today? Well, I think that, um, that change is painful but nothing is as painful as staying stuck where you don't belong. And I think sometimes we get really comfortable being in the same place and we like our house. We like our community. We like where our kids go to school, but we're not really happy where we are and with maybe what we're doing. And when you jump out there and you go after your goals and your dreams, you're just a much more um, content and fulfilled human being, which helps make the people around you better. Yeah, I love that. And then uh, tell us this. What's your best way to bring people into action? As coaches, I think we are notorious and motivating. And, you know, we leave and feel like, wow, that was just the best speech ever. But I think the gift is how do you go to get people from a motivation state into producing action? Well, goal setting, you know, if you don't have those action steps for the goals, it's just a dream. And lots of people can sit around daydream and dream about what they want. Um, but it's those action steps on how you're going to achieve those goals, which is going to get you to your dream and being able to be that person that holds people accountable to each step along the way and keeps them on track is a special person. And those are the motivators and the coaches and the teachers out there that that's their gift. And, um, and so that's why I love coaching and, and why I love seeing people achieve their goals, but I'm, uh, person as well that has goals and those steps it's really important to stay on track and so having somebody like you in my life that understands the way I'm wired and the way that we think as coaches is very very important a lot of these administrations have no coaches on their administration so they don't understand how we think as coaches but we're really we're motivators we're people that keep people on track in their steps and their goals um, so that they can achieve um, their dreams so you brought up the term accountability, and a lot of times that sounds like you're in trouble. You're holding them accountable, so someone's in trouble, which I, I think is not. I think accountability is something you should thank someone for. 
for holding you accountable, whether it be a friendship or, a, you know, a, a coach to a player or like you just mentioned, a coach to their boss, their president, their athletic director, their direct report. I think as coaches, we love to be held accountable because we are up for the challenge and um, and, and are self-motivated, typically, the really good coaches anyway. Let's talk about the term accountability and give us your perspective on that from an ath- athlete standpoint, but also in college athletics. Well, accountability, like you said, is so important. How many of us would love to have, if you're trying to lose weight, an accountability partner? That term is a negative. You know, you've got somebody that's going to help you make good decisions when you go to the grocery store, um, going to help you make good decisions when you cook your meals at night. Like having an accountability, I think that, that Noom, that's the new weight loss thing that I see that advertised all the time. I think they have a, a life coach, an accountability partner, and they check in with you all the time. But somehow when we're a coach and we're getting on to our athletes or holding them accountable, we're mean and we're too hard and we don't understand. They just, they want to be regular students sometimes. And well, there's a lot of regular students that would love to have the perks and the things that the athletes have. So holding them accountable, I don't think is, is a negative thing. And I think it's something you should welcome if you want to really achieve greatness. If you don't want to achieve greatness, sure. You don't want to have somebody being holding you accountable. So the best AD I've ever had, constantly would say to me, what can I do to help you? Or what can I do to help your program? So let's talk to, talk to the college administrators that are listening. Um, two college coaches sitting here talking. What makes a great athletic director? They have to understand your vision. Just like the athletes have to buy in, they have to understand the coach's vision. They have a vision and that coach has to get on board with their vision. But the coach is the expert. The coach is the reason why we get paid and the reason why we are um, where we're at in our careers is because we are the expert of our sport. So chances are you have an athletic director that never's coached or didn't coach your sport. Um, they need to understand that you're an expert in that sport and they should trust you in the steps that you're taking to get your athletes to buy into vis- your vision and to get you to where you want to go. And they have to be transparent. They have to be clear. If they don't care about championships and winning championships, that's not what they want. They want your kids to stay out of trouble and get good grades. Then be clear with you that that's what you're being held accountable for being accountable. If they want to win championships. And I think the best athletic director that I've had was very clear. This is what we're going to do. This is what I expect from you. And then you go do it. And then they let you go do it. So young coaches are taking that job regardless what that AD says, whether it's win or just be great academically. A young coach is probably taking it. You get into the stage of the career that you and I are in. And in the hiring process, can you talk to us about you want to know that up front and see if there's alignment in what your philosophy is um, with that athletic director and then walk us all the way through from that person hires you under these stipulations and now you go through new AD, new president, maybe multiple ADs. Um, can you walk us through a little bit of that? Yeah, and that's been my experience. So I, I had four athletic directors in my previous position and every athletic director has a difference, um, a different philosophy in uh, a directive 
that maybe they've been given and maybe you've had multiple presidents, which I had as well, um, every time that changes. And so having the ability as a coach to go in and sit down with that leader and say, hey, you know, what is your um, philosophy? Where do you see this program going? And what are my benchmarks? What do I need to hit in order to be successful? You didn't hire me. So, you know, what do I need to do? And those are hard conversations for a lot of um, coaches to have. And maybe they want to just be like, well, I just want to fall under the radar. I just want to um, you know, just not give, give any trouble and then maybe nothing will happen. And I've been around a lot of coaches that's been the way they've handled things. And it doesn't, a lot of times doesn't work out too good for them or they're constantly afraid. And we know if we coach afraid that you're not going to be as successful as if you coach with confidence. Another thing I think we have to deal with with gender bias, because a lot of men coach confident and they know, Hey, this is what I'm doing, like it or leave it. And females, well, if I do this, then some people might be unhappy. And if people are unhappy, we know misery loves company with women. So then I'm going to have to deal with that. And so we have to constantly weigh things where a lot of my male colleagues say, hey, Julie, you just do this. That's what I would do. And I weigh that and I think, well, am I going to be allowed to be that? So having those conversations, I guess, with administration, especially if you weren't hired by that administration, um, will make for a better outcome. No question. And the ability to stand up when you understand that there's no more alignment. You took the job under these conditions. You've got multiple new folks that you're reporting to and their philosophy isn't your philosophy. Correct. Standing up and going, I'm out of here because I want to go somewhere and work for someone who wants to whatever it is that you want to do. Right. And and all coaches are a little bit different uh, philosophically with you know, where winning lies versus the balance of the academics and within the community. But I want you to leave us with this, your final thoughts, and finish it off with a strong dose of motivation. Well, if you're too comfortable, it's time to move on. Being too comfortable is, is one of those things where you won't have growth. If you want great growth, you need to make yourself uncomfortable, have a great spirit, if you just want a little growth, I mean, you can be comfortable and have a great spirit. But if you are too comfortable, you won't grow and you need to be growing as a person. Come wine with us at the Wine House on Haywood Road in Greenville, South Carolina. Happy hour, Tuesday through Friday, 4 to 6.30 p.m. 475 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina. Thanks to our guest and friend, Julie Torbett, for being two feet in, reminding us to be wired to win. Visit the show notes to learn more about Julie and to reach her directly. That's been Division One 20-plus year veteran coach, Julie Torbett, on Two Feet In, the podcast, where ideas and inspiration meet to produce action. A big thanks to all of our guests for breaking down ideas, giving us a strong dose of motivation, and helping us learn to live two feet in. If you're looking for a career, not just a job, we're now hiring CDL Class A drivers at DMX Transportation in Duncan, South Carolina. Apply online at www.shipdmx.com.